Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. As been mentioned, we have been studying hot topics for a hot summer, and it certainly has been hot and uh, here in Mississippi and we've tried to deal with subjects from a biblical perspective in other words there may be things that have been hot topics for quite a while like the one we'll deal with today and then sometimes there's hot topics that are current events that we will that we have and will address and so last week if you were here we talked about heaven now Heaven's fun to talk about as a preacher. I mean, you get excited. Uh, most preachers ought to know they're going to heaven. And so, because I feel like I do, we believe the eternal security of the believer, not because of our works, because of Christ's finished work, put our faith in him, admitting our sin. And man, it's fun. I mean, you, you're, you're reading these passages about heaven and you're reading these commentaries about heaven and you listen to what all these other preachers are saying and it's just like wow that that's that's fun and you're and you're hopeful that people are listening or going to heaven or that they realize the reality of we're all going to die one day as long as the lord tarries and make sure they know they're going to heaven put their faith in christ and and now i'm turning around and today i'm talking about hell now it's, it's not as uh fun because you're just reminded of the reality because the Bible speaks of hell. I believe it is a place. I believe in the doctrine of hell. It's a doctrine in God's Word. You hear others preach about it. You read commentaries. You go through all these different things, and it can, can be a little heavy because we probably all know people um, could go to heaven if they died because they've not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We talked about the unpardonable sin several weeks ago. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, if someone never, ever repents of their sin and puts their faith in Christ, and then if they die, then they would spend eternity in hell. And so, I don't do this in like, oh, I'm scared to preach on hell any more than I'd be afraid to preach on tithing. It's in the Bible. But I don't do so with, uh, like, excitement. Like, you're going to hell and you need to turn or burn kind of deal. It's more of, like, ah, this is real, folks. This is real. Um, And I'm sure you know this. I looked at what some surveys have said and There's a lot more people that believe in heaven than they do hell. One one researcher put it this this way. While 74% of Americans believe in heaven, just 59% believe in hell. And today's message is a focus on why I believe that is so. Now, if you have your Bible... There's two passages I want to look at. There's a number of scriptures we'll be looking at. But I want us to look in Revelation 20.10 and then the Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 44. 
because our focus today will be on a strategy that I believe the enemy has for us to be duped, if you will, on this particular subject. It's a strategy about his home, which is hell. Let me give you a a definition, a working definition of hell that I liked in one of my readings. Hell is the place of eternal exile where the ungodly experience God's just retribution against sin. Be reminded, if you don't know, hell was intended for the enemy, the devil, and his imps, the demons. It was created for them. Why? Because of rebellion. And people can go there for the same reason, because of rebellion not putting their faith in Christ because of pride, because of sense of I'm going to work my way there. That doesn't work. For by grace you say through faith, it's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so what I want us to do is I, I want us to understand how this strategy works by looking at these two passages. Now, Some may say, because I've heard this, man, I'm experiencing hell on earth. It's bad. And you know what? It is bad, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff that happens every day. And it seems to be getting worse. You you look back on those of us that have been around 20, 30, 40 years, and we think, man, how did we get here? And where in the world are we going? It's, It's bad. But what I would say is, and others have said, Hell on earth is a deluded hell, meaning this, there's still the grace of God. There's still fresh tomatoes with mayonnaise, pepper, and salt. I mean, there's still good, clean jokes. There's still ball that we can watch on television. There's still time with friends. There's still dogs out there. I like dogs. And then, so there's, it's a deluded type of hell. It's, it can be rough, illness, sickness, experiencing death. But the reality is real hell is undiluted. It's God's unleashed wrath because of sin and his holiness. Revelation 20 verse 10, when it comes to the judgment of Satan, ultimately this will occur. It says, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Know this, he, the enemy, believes in hell. I truly believe that because I believe God's word. And because we see sin in the world and we're depraved and we're sinners and we see how wickedness can reign at times, even a deluded type of hell here on earth, I believe he exists. And I believe he knows he's going there and so he's wreaking havoc as long as he can. The truth has never been in him. So let's look at John Chapter 8, verse 44, where Jesus said, You belong 
to your father, the devil, those that had not believed in him as the Messiah. And you want to carry out your father's desires, he says. And he says about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Furthermore, listen to this, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, he disguises himself as an angel of light. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, we put on the armor of God to withstand his schemes. So, if you were him knowing that, there is no truth in him and where he's going, and he hates you and he hates me, what would you do? I believe we're about to look at it because I believe, I mean, he's obviously very bright. There's a strategy going on. He is deceptive and has always been that. He's been a liar from the beginning. So we need to know his strategy. There's going to be some ball playing going on real soon, and those high school football teams are going to do their best, even then before the first game, before they've seen the other team, to find out what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, so they can defeat them. Simple illustration to remind us of where we're headed here, because this is serious, and hell is real. So let's look at the strategy. You may have your listening sheet or just make some mental notes. Just listen up. The first one is this, Satan makes Jesus seem unloving. Have you not heard this common question? How could a loving God send anyone to hell? We hear this over and over, and yet we forget, it seems, the Garden of Eden. There was always the possibility because God didn't make us robots. Anything made of God is lesser than God because God is God. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Only God is God. And he's always been. The Trinity. We believe it. We believe the Bible teaches it. You can look at the Great Commission, and it's right there. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He didn't make us robots. Man created the actuality due to choice. We just go back to the garden. The Bible says that the enemy said in the garden, did God really say? You see, always questions. Literally, in Genesis, we see the enemy disguised as saying that. Did God really say? That's always his strategy has been from the beginning. We think about Jesus after his 40 days on the mountain, and he was tempted by Satan. Same type of strategy. And yet, the Bible says God is love in 1 John. The Bible says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We must not forget the God of love that's in the Bible, the God we serve and we worship today and hopefully know personally. The Bible says that God has two sides of him. He's merciful and he's just. That's the kind of God I want. If he was totally merciful, oh, I just love you, let me pat you, you do whatever you want. If it was all about justness and doing it, it would be an extreme, just the opposite way. Somewhere in here is our holy God. He's merciful, loving, but he's just. So he's going to do what is right because he's God. I don't want any other God except that. Let me explain it in two Try to paint two pictures, a couple of pictures for you. One is, let's say we have a doctor. I've got a new doctor. I'm going in the next month. I've known this doctor. I went to college with him and hadn't seen him in decades. His name is Dr. Ray Montavo. Maybe he's your doctor. I'm counting on Dr. Ray to pick up after all these years our friendship, do me right. Y'all go see him before I do. Tell him I'm counting on him. And what I'm counting on him to do is tell me the truth, meaning the good and the bad. Now, let me tell you what I think he might say about the good. He's going to ask me, you know how these doctors are. First of all, you have to fill out a book before you walk in there. I don't know half the questions. I say, ask Kelly, ask Kelly, ask Kelly. And so I do my best, and then I throw that in there. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure they really, I'm sure, I'm sure Dr. Ray and his people read all that. But so I'll do my best, and then I'll go in there, and he'll start asking me a series of questions, and he'll look, look up. I'm taking all my chart, my information. You can call my doctors in Florida. And, you know, so he'll, he'll, he'll go through all this. And through that, here's what might be the good and the bad. The good might be, oh, man, I see that you, you like to exercise. You don't have any hobbies. And, uh, yeah, I hear you're a hacker at golf, and so that's probably good that you get up early and you go to the gym. You know, I like That's good. How? That is good, buddy. That is good. Man, that's good. But here's what the bad might be. You know what? Uh, they told me what you weighed out there. Now, friend how turn preacher, you need to cut back on those sweets a little bit. Since you've been coming to Brookhaven, I hear you've been <clears throat> putting on about 10, 15 pounds. And he'd probably be right. Now, I'm also sharing with this so you can help a brother out because I'm struggling with sweets. I'm telling you, it, it's a tough deal living in Brookhaven as a pastor. You know, I come up with all kinds of excuses to keep eating. I went to somebody's house, remember this church, and they gave me one piece of pie. I didn't stop there. I had three before I left. I, I survived three or four days, went to another great family's house this past, uh, last week. They had two options of desserts. I had both. And then this week, oh, man. I was having a good week since Sunday, and that happened. I'm talking, I did right Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then it happened. 
I ate good Saturday morning, went to the gym. I ate good. I had a good lunch. And I actually had a, I, I had a bigger lunch, a big breakfast, so I waited and had an early dinner or a late lunch, however you want to call it. And I thought, I'm good. But then a church member, I'm not going to call their name, scrolled about the cookie man in Brookhaven. That's on the boulevard. We call it the boulevard, right? I picked up on that. I'm telling you, I'm pretty smart. After five mu- months, we call it the boulevard. They said, I mean, and it got my, t- I mean, here you go. It's temptation. So I'm a sweetaholic. So the cookie, man, you got to be kidding. I grew up in Mississippi. We sell stuff on the side of the road, watermelon, tomatoes, vegetables. I'm all about that. And I love it. They didn't do that in the city as much. And so I'm enjoying it. I just see it. And, you know, when I'd come home and drive on 49 from, from uh, Clinton to, to Hattiesburg, one of my favorite things was seeing people on the side of the road selling stuff because you miss that kind of stuff. So, but I'm thinking, cooking, I know about Girl Scout cookies, but cookies? You mean to tell me there's a cookie man on the boulevard selling cookies? I love cookies. And I thought, I'm going to see for myself. So I did. I got in the car. And I drove on the boulevard, and there he was, the cookie man. That's what he calls himself. I introduced myself to him. He says, they call me the cookie man. I said, oh, I know. <laughs> I know all about you. And so he sold me some cookies. It was over. It was over. I came home, and uh, it says right here, it says, the, T-H-A, cookie trap. You've been caught by the cookie trap. He's right. It's kind of like Lay's potato chips back in the day. You can't take just one bite. Before I knew it, I had down six cookies. But then I thought about our friend Robert Mayfield who has a birthday tomorrow. And I saved the rest of these cookies for Robert. Happy birthday, Robert. Oh, Yes. <laughs> if, I go, if I go to Dr. Ray, where in the world was I with this sermon? If I go to Dr. Ray, if he's really a good doctor and the doctor that I believe he is, I want him to tell me the good and the bad. I had a daddy who wasn't perfect, but I'm going to tell you what. He loved me, but he didn't tolerate any mess. I'm telling you, that's why I called him Big Harold. And I'd tell my friends, we'd sit in the balcony. And at First Baptist Kosciuszko growing up, and if they were cutting up, because he was the preacher too, I'd say, Big Harold, like, y'all shut up, you're going to get me in trouble. And I'm sure I was never talking, Fletcher, you know. But I probably was. But anyways, like Big Harold, he was loving. I'm telling you, the dude, there was no doubt. All the way until he died at 60 of cancer, I never, ever doubted that he loved me. But he was an excellent dad because I'm telling you what, he also disciplined me. Our Heavenly Father disciplines us when we do wrong to correct because he loves us. 
I'll never forget one day we, he, took, he took Ronald Kane and I. Ronald Kane lives in Hattiesburg. We were probably about seven years old. He was a deacon's kid. We went to a church softball game. He had just cleaned out his car, my dad had, and he said, don't get in the dirt. If you get in the dirt, I'm going to put you in the trunk. So I looked at Ronald Kane. He looked at me. Man, we couldn't resist. That, I didn't want to watch at seven years old a church softball game. Bunch of old men out there pulling, pulling the cramps in their legs and muscles and stuff. I wanted to play in the dirt. So sure enough, we played in the dirt, Ron Kane and I. But sure enough, my daddy, when he came back, cause he didn't want his car dirty. And he'd warned us. He told us what would happen. He popped the trunk open. He said, get in the trunk. <laughs> I looked at him. Ronald Kane looked at me. Sure enough, Big Harold put Ronald Kane and I in the trunk and drove us home. Now, he left it open, but here's what he probably didn't think about. When the wind was blowing that thing, I said, Daddy, the thing was blowing. So we experienced a taste of hell just for a little bit in that trunk. That's my daddy. That's who he was. Our God is a loving God. But because he is a God of love and he has integrity like no one else because he is God. He is a just God. And he's going to do what's right because we want a God that is going to do what's right. And so that's why we believe in hell. Because he's God. And because he says it. And because... It is reality. Calvin Miller, great theologian of old, once said, God, he put it this way, God, can you be so merciful and send me off to hell and lock me in forever? No, pilgrim. I will not send you there, but if you choose to go there, I could never lock you out. God doesn't send anyone. People choose to go there, and God allows it. And he basically says, okay, thy will be done. Secondly, Satan often makes some preachers seem uneducated. Now, let me explain it this way. Some of you know where I'm headed. If Satan's strategy was to try to make Adam and Eve feel uneducated, did God really say, and Jesus the same way? Can't you just, Jesus, you're Jesus, can't you just, don't you think if he's going to do that to Jesus, fully God, fully man, he's not going to do that to you and to me? He uses, he still uses that method. The world has caused us to think the only ones that believe in hell are the uneducated, flaming, fundamentalist, fat preachers with a big knotted tie. That's the picture that some have out there. Oh, you're not intelligent. I've seen you guys flipping channels. You weigh about 500 pounds. You got a big knotted tie, and your tie comes about right here, and you say, turn it on. And it makes everybody look like they're doofuses. And so, therefore, we don't want to be associated with doofuses. I kind of like to say that, doofus. It's a doofus mentality. 
And so it makes you feel like, they, you know, should I say anything? Do I really believe in this? That's the enemy disguising and deceiving and duping us if we're not careful. Jim Cimbala, pastor in New York, speaking of the reality of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. He says Satan's strategy is to counterfeit the true Holy Spirit and produce unhealthy emotionalism, unbiblical weirdness, and egotistical charlatans to give the Spirit a bad name. He's right on it. Jesus was the greatest preacher that ever lived, and he spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Period. We ought to put an end to it right there. We're talking Jesus. Fully God, fully man. I could mention other names of intellectuals from the past and today, but I'm going to say this one more time. And I'm going to move on to the next point. Jesus, fully God, fully man, preached on hell often. That settles it. No matter what the university professor says or anyone else puffed up with pharisaical attitudes. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the Bible says God Resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Number three. And if you have your Bible, I would, I would encourage you to turn to this. Luke 16, 19 through 31. I want to read this. Satan makes people feel invisible because I think we have a clear picture of hell here. And I think this is one of his strategies just to kind of make you feel like I'm I'm really a good person or um, I've got it made in life. I can go on vacations. I can eat whatever I want. I can drink, eat, drink, and be merry kind of attitude. It's, it's, it's okay. It's going to all work out kind of deal. So in Luke 16, 19 through 31, we have a picture. This is Jesus telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man dies and goes to hell, not because he was rich. The Bible says the love of money, not having money. And so the problem was money was his God. The problem with society, sometimes we can make a family member an idol or a hobby an idol or a car an idol. Here's what it says. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. Luke 16, 19 through 31, in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Where he was in torment, he looked up, saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, 
Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. It's been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, they have the parchments. They have God's word. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if we do not listen to what God's word said, he's saying, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is Jesus telling this. It's in red if you have the Bible that has Jesus' words written in red. He lives in luxury every day. The Greek says that he lives brilliantly, magnificently. That's what it means. Clearly, he is one of the leading social figures of his time, well-known and popular. Yet, he was an observant Jew calling out Father Abraham as did the pious Jews of his day. So, he is rich and religious. I would summarize it like this. Personally, he had all the money in the world, all the time in the world, it seemed. He had all the friends in the world that he needed and all the works in the world that he needed. And yet, good works can take someone straight to hell. Yet he died and went to hell forever. Jesus is trying to help all of us realize that we must come to our senses like the prodigal son. Or we will live without him forever if we do our own thing and we don't put our faith and trust in Christ. And being in hell without him forever is hell. Randy Alcorn said, earth is a glimpse. Listen closely. Earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, it is the closest they will ever come to heaven. I like the way Jim Dennison summarized the passage. Quickly, this is what he said. Our souls do not die with our bodies. Our souls are conscious after death. The righteous are taken to a place of happiness immediately at death while the wicked are consigned at once to punishment. Wealth does not keep us from death or hell. There is a place of suffering beyond the grave, a hell. There is never any escape or end of hell. God gives us sufficient warning to prepare for death, and God will give us nothing further to warn us. Now, here's the good news. There is a substitute program. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we're here today, Facebook, live here, radio. We got an opportunity, if we never have, to be a part of the substitute plan. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, he paid the way.
And we get in, John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's our ticket, if you will. Years ago when I was at MC, there was a professional baseball player that used to play for the Jackson Mets. Now, this is a long time ago. I'm dating myself. Smith Wills Stadium. His name was Ned Yost. He was a catcher. And so when Ned was not with the team, he would come practice with the Choctaws, go Chocs. So he would practice with us, and we were all like, man, we got a pro out here. He was. He was a, and he was very down-to-earth, great guy, married a Jackson girl, so he'd come back, and our coach would have him come out there, and so we got to know Ned a little bit. So Ned went on and played for the Rangers, and then he ended up coaching for the the Royals, when they won the series several years ago, he's now retired, but just a great guy. But let me tell you what I did years after that. When I was in Texas at seminary, he was playing for the Rangers. And he always said, guys, let me know when you're in town, I'll get you tickets. So I'd, so I'd take him up on it. Just seminary student, got in touch with him, got in touch with the office, found out how to do it. I walked up there. To the, to the gate, they're looking at me like, I mean, you're at will call. You know, most people at will call probably didn't look like a seminary student like myself and my wife. And they kind of looking at me. I said, I'm, uh, Ned Yost has tickets. And they kind of looking at me like, yeah, he's our catcher for the Rangers. Sure enough, you know what? They had tickets for us. You know why we got in? Because of Ned Yost. It wasn't because of me. It wasn't because of Kelly. It wasn't even because I was a Choctaw back in the day. It's because I knew Ned Yost, and he paid my way with the ticket. Just two years ago, when I was in St. Pete, he was coaching for the Royals. I thought, I believe I'll try this again. We did it again, and sure enough, walked up to Will Call. Ned Yost has his tickets. Kind of looked at me. Sure enough, there was our name. Hal Kitchings, his wife Kelly. You know why we got in that game? Because of Ned Yost. It wasn't because I was a preacher in St. Pete at Fifth Avenue. It wasn't because I was a Choctaw. It wasn't because I went to see him. He thought that was cool back in the day and playing. No, it's because I knew Ned Yost, and he paid the way, and I got in, and I watched the Royals and the Rays. Now, listen, you're not going to get in heaven because you're sitting in church. You're not getting in heaven because you're watching on Facebook or on the radio or because you're a good person. There are good people that die and go to hell. You will get in heaven because it's a substitute plan. You've admitted your sin. You believe Jesus is the only way, and you put your faith and trust in him, and you confess him as Savior and Lord. So listen. Don't let the enemy dupe you. Surrender to him today. It'll be the best decision you have ever made. And Christian, may we be reminded today, there is a place called hell. And if we know people going there, we pray for them. And we do what we can to share the gospel. We don't beat them over the head with the Bible. But when we have opportunities, we, we, we share our testimony. We do what we can to share. And we keep praying and praying and praying. Because we don't want anybody to go there. Dear God, 
This, this, this invitation time, people making decisions, is all yours. I pray your will be done. If we come to the altar and pray, if we pray for somebody that lo- that's lost, if someone comes to make their public decision, their private decision public, if someone comes to be baptized like this courageous teenager earlier in the service, if somebody comes and says, I want to join the church, God, whatever it is, trusting you as Savior, we pray your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.